Well, good morning, everyone. If you're uh, new to us this morning, uh, we have been walking through uh, Proverbs this summer. It's been a great uh, study as we've listened in on this conversation between uh, father and son. And as we begin this morning, I want to just be honest with you and let you know that this was a difficult week of preparation for me. It, it was a hard passage to work through. In fact, Terry and I even talked about this. I, I really felt like there was a spiritual battle going on. And so I want you to pray with me and for me as we walk through this together. One of the reasons that it was challenging is just by virtue of the number of verses we're going to cover. Some 40 verses, in fact. And I looked hard at how we might divide that up, and we really can't. Because it represents a single thought that this father has to son, as, uh, father has for his son as he shares his advice and counsel. Now, I realize in telling you that we have 40 verses to cover this morning, some of you have already checked out. <laughs> You're already thinking, oh great, how long is this going to take? And so let me put your mind at ease. We're going to cover this in our allotted period of time as best as I can. So don't worry about it. Instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, what in the world could be so important to this dad that he goes to such great length to make such a lasting impression upon his son that he takes this time to give this counsel? What, what in the world could it be? It's obviously important to this dad. And, and so what is so profoundly important for his son to, to understand? And if it's that important to him, shouldn't our hearts and minds be on high alert? Shouldn't it be important to us? I believe it should. Because this is not the first time that this father has covered this topic with his son. You remember back in chapter 5, we talked about the sweet words of the adulteress and the bitter effect they have when we consume her lies. Remember the Wormwood, John? Pretty awful, wasn't it? <clears throat> That's the bitter taste that that leaves in our mouth. And so the father's going to circle back around to revisit this subject again. And, and before we jump in and, and look at that together, I want to give you a very important reminder. So please listen to me closely. The instruction of Proverbs is so rich. Because every time we look at a passage, we see that it is layered with applications, one right after the other. For example, now, there's no question, at face value, the father is giving his son some very practical wisdom about sexual fidelity. Because he understands the reality of the temptations that his son will inevitably face. And if he were to say these things to his daughter, they would apply to her as well. But within this instruction is a spiritual truth that, that is even deeper. Inside the, the lesson of faithfulness to marriage is a lesson about our relationship with God. In fact, the covenant relationship of marriage was designed by God to reflect our relationship with Him. And so when he talks about the integrity of relationships, in this case marriage, but it, it applies to relationships as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as, as friends, as family, that he will purposefully connect 
the character of these commitments to these relationships to our relationship with Him. Because faithfulness in one is directly related to faithfulness in the other. That's why when you look at the New Testament, you see Jesus consistently making that connection between loving God and loving your neighbor. He does it over and over again. Why? Because faithfulness in one means faithfulness in the other. And that tie needs to be maintained. And so as we walk through that together, I don't want you to miss that reality. Right alongside that, I also want you to understand that the woman in this passage represents more than than just an adulteress. In fact, her behavior is a symbol of, of sinful folly. And the temptation that we all face to join in her escapades, whether we're married or single, a son or a daughter, that truth applies to all of us. And so as we walk through this together, I want you to keep both of those things in mind. On one hand, he will speak candidly about the temptation of of sexual sin. But on the other hand, right alongside that, he has something very important for us to see about our commitment to God, especially when sin tries to pull us away. That's the heart of the message this morning. So let's pray together that that's what we understand as we walk through it together. Fathers, we come to your word this morning and we do so humbly. We want your word to speak truth into our lives in a way that it changes our heart. These are hard truths. These are things that we often kind of shuffle to the side, sweep under the rug. We, we don't talk about them. But yet the world, at the same time, is proclaiming a very clear message, loud and clear, that is contrary to what your truth calls us to. So, Father, I pray that this morning we may hear your word spoken through your scripture in a way that we are changed, in a way that draws us deeper into our commitment to our relationship with you, walking faithfully as we follow Jesus Christ, our Savior. May that be the effect on our lives this morning as we open up your word. That's our prayer. And we ask it in your name. Amen. So if you would, go ahead and turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 6. We'll pick up where we left off last in verse 20. So, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. You would follow along with me in uh, verse 20 where he says, uh, My son, observe the commandment of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp. And the teaching is a light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Each of the two sections of Scripture that we're going to look at this morning that really represent a single piece of advice from the Father both begin with a, a word of encouragement from the Father followed by a very clear warning. So as he's done all throughout Proverbs, we 
could count how many times he's repeated this admonition to his son to, to listen carefully, to pay attention. And he does it once again. And I want you to notice in this passage how the, both the mom and dad are involved in, in discipling their kids. He says clearly, Observe the commandments of your father. Do not forsake the teaching of your mom. Because the one will mirror the other. Both mom and dad are looking to God for guidance. Both mom and dad are, are using God's Word as the source of their counsel. And so the father instructs the son, be faithful to the teaching of your parents. And he calls him to observe. Literally, verse 1 says, to guard with fidelity. In other words, if you are faithful to the counsel of God's word as is being taught by your parents, then their instruction will protect you from making unfaithful decisions in your life. And notice the, the verbs that the, the father uses to describe that commitment. He, he goes at length to really unwrap this for his son. He talks about guarding with fidelity. He says, do not forsake. Bind them on your heart. Tie them around your neck. Remember them when you walk, when you sleep, when you're awake. It, clearly, the father is calling his son to a heartfelt devotion and not just some accumulation of knowledge inside of his head. These truths are, are not to be segregated, so they only apply to, to certain parts of your life. Instead, they are to influence every single aspect of your being. Because there are no exception clauses when it comes to our commitment of faithfulness to the Lord. And so God's truth should inform every decision that we make in life. The light of His truth is the only way to identify the deceitfulness of sins. The Father talks about even His discipline is necessary to help keep you on the right path. Especially when you encounter those, those smooth-sounding words of sinful temptation. Look at what he says next in verse 24. I'll start there and read those verses again. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of the harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not get burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not get scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy hunger when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He would destroy himself, does it? Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied through your many gifts. In this section, the father really creates a scenario of consequences for his son should he refuse to follow the instruction of his parents. 
and let's be clear, he's talking about every possible realm of sexual infidelity. I read recently about a pastor who talked on this particular topic one time and and made the mistake of assuming that everybody had a clear understanding of how the Bible speaks to this issue. Only to learn that many in our culture have determined that intimacy is acceptable as long as you're not involved with someone who's married. Outside of that, then it's okay. Now that may be a cultural norm, but listen to me clearly. That is not the testimony of Scripture. So in order not to make the same mistake, let me be very clear. Any sexual intimacy for any reason outside the context of marriage is a sin. But just because it's forbidden doesn't mean that it's not tempting. The woman in this scenario, as he describes it for his son, is beautiful. And that in and of itself is not what's wrong. What's wrong is what he says in verse 25, where he says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. You see, sin is conceived when his son desires beauty in his heart. Instead of appreciating it for what it is, he wants it for himself. It's the lingering desire that leads to sin. And this woman's not helping any, is she? She's using her smooth words and and seductive eyes to invite the son to indulge in those desires. Essentially, she's saying, hey, it's okay. It's all right. And so the father wants to expose the the lies that are hidden within this temptation. And so I want us to look at what he has to say to his son. The first lie that he reveals is the lie that it's not that big of a deal. It's the justification of this sin by comparing it to something that you deem to be worse. Verse 26 talks about the sin of, of being with a harlot a payment made for a prostitute. Because I think it's there to establish the fact that everyone knows that's wrong, right? But when love is mutual between consenting adults, then then surely that means it's okay. I mean, after all, we we do plan to get married. We we truly love one another. It's it's just not the right time. And So why do we need a piece of paper to, to tell us what we already know is true? We love each other. Well, true love is not expressed through unbridled freedom. True love is expressed through self-restraint. True love waits. And that's the truth. Otherwise, you're making a decision to put your own desires over and above the pattern of God's design. And in the end, that's idolatry. That's why the Father explains that it's a deadly mistake to allow your desires to supersede your devotion to God. Compromise comes with a cost. And so we encourage you, son, be faithful first to your relationship with God. And then he describes the inevitable results of pain. The next lie that he will expose is the lie that 
No one's going to get hurt. But that idea is as foolish as the father explains, is a man who's holding a hot burning coal in his lap and not being concerned about getting burned. Not very smart. Remember the illustration I gave you about the, the, the beauty of a fire that, that exists within the protection of a fireplace. And the danger of that same fire when you take it out of the fireplace and you start it in the middle of your living room. Well, the father seems to be expressing a very similar idea. He wants you to know that intimacy outside the context of marriage is painfully destructive. Its impact is, is far-reaching. Now, I want you to know that as I prepared to walk through this passage, this is one of the places where I really struggled to, to understand how best to communicate these truths. Because on one hand, I don't believe that the Father's over-exaggerating. <laughs> I don't think he's speaking in a hyperbole in order to make, an, a, make a point. I, I think what he's trying to express to his son is very real, very practical, as he describes the inevitable reality of pain. And so I don't want to minimize that fact. But at the same time, I don't want to communicate that if someone has made this mistake, if they have walked into this path of sin, that they are somehow beyond the reach of God's redeeming grace and His forgiveness. Because that's not true either. God can and does forgive. But it will not be as if the incident never happened. There is a reality of pain. And sometimes that pain can leave a very nasty scar. So the Father explains in verse 29, whoever falls into the trap will not go unpunished. You can't get through this unscathed. And so he instructs his son out of love, out of desire for what's best for him, to live within the protection of God's design. The best way to avoid the pain of this sin is to not walk down the road at all, to trust in God and His plan and His protection. See, the, the Father has revealed the, the great cost. He has exposed the, the reality of the pain. And now He'll talk about the shame. He exposes the lie that no one else will know. That as long as it's hidden, then, then no one gets hurt. And that's a lie. The Father uses an analogy to explain to His Son as he talks about this man who is starving and, and steals food in order to feed himself. And yet, how that man is still punished for what he did by taking from someone what didn't belong to him. In fact, it says that he has to pay sevenfold what he stole, even though he was hungry. His decision to take something that didn't belong to him is not justified. In the same way, intimate love is a precious gift given only to a husband and a wife. And to experience that in any other context is to rob them of the gift that God has given. Now again, God can bring beauty from ashes. He can restore a truly repentant heart. 
And there are stories of redemption, some that exist within our own church family that, that validate that truth, that, that speak of God's redeeming grace. And yet I believe every single one of those people would tell you, listen to what the Father is saying, because everything he's saying is true. The cost is great. The pain is inevitable, and you have to work through the reality of the shame. The best decision you can make is to not go down that road at all. They would tell you that. To to echo the words of the Father, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Because as long as you are faithful to Him, you will not fall into that trap of sin. Faithfulness in your relationship with God produces faithfulness in your relationship with others. That's the truth of Scripture. Now let's see how he continues in this conversation in chapter 7, verse 1. He says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live in my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. I hope you understand that as the father is speaking these words of of wisdom to his son, that he is teaching him out of the things that he has learned himself as he too has been following the Lord. Much like I do every single Sunday, I am teaching you out of the things God has been teaching me all throughout this week. I'm sharing with you the things that I myself am learning as well. It's true for us as parents. You have to be a disciple before you can make disciples. And so once again, he uses the language to describe this heartfelt devotion. He says, write them on the tablet of your heart. He said, make them the apple of your eye, that that place that's central to your your focus and your vision as you make decisions in your life. The Father is describing really what is ultimately a change in desire because of a transformation that comes in your heart. You'll notice that He's not teaching His Son to to be pure because of the the strength of His self-discipline. Because the Father knows that this ultimately is a heart issue. And good intentions will not get you there. He he understands that that godly desires must flow out of a devotion to God. Being faithful with Him produces faithfulness in your relationships. And so he tells his son to love wisdom like a sister. Isn't that an interesting comparison in the context of this adulteress? Because the love of a sister is a lot different, isn't it? You're thinking about different things. You're thinking about protecting her. Okay, you would protect corn, wouldn't you? You would guard her. You would watch over her. And that's what he's telling this son to do with wisdom. Guard it. Protect it. Watch over it. Like you would your own sister. And then he gives the warning. First, I want you to notice... Well, let's look at verse 6, if we would. For at the window of my house, I looked out through my lattice 
And I saw among the naive and discerned among the youth a young man lacking sense, passing through the street near her corner. And he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. The father is speaking from the experience of what he has witnessed with his very own eyes. And he's sharing with his son to protect him from falling into that trap of sin. He's describing the small, simple compromises that lead to a very big mistake. First, notice how this young man, when he is walking home, goes out of his way to pass near the house where temptation lives. Literally, he's flirting with sin. He doesn't have to go down that road, but he does, just so he can walk by her house. I'm just looking. <laughs> you might say, I'm not going to go any further than that. Well, I know my friends don't share my same convictions, but that's all right. I can, I can handle it. But the time of day that he's walking betrays his conscience. When is he walking? At night, in the twilight when the darkness can cover his decisions. <laughs> and there's an important truth here, and I don't want you to miss this, so listen very closely. If you find yourself trying to cover your tracks, if you've got something to hide, then chances are you're flirting with sin. Because sin always hides in the darkness. It, it seeks isolation. But purity lives in the life, light. It, it, it thrives in, in, in the context of fellowship. And so, if your heart is pure, then walk in the light. You've got nothing to hide. Live in the context of fellowship, because that's where life exists. Now look at verse 10. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart, she is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings today. I paid my vows. Therefore I have come over to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings of my covered linens from Egypt. I've sprinkled my bed with myrrh and alloys and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. Verse 10 begins with a surprise. Behold! <laughs> the intent here is to... to, to paint this scenario where this person is, is caught by surprise. I can assure you that the, the young man that this father is observing has not thought through how to respond when this situation happens. This beautiful woman now confronts him. That woman whose beauty he's desired in his heart. And now what's he going to do? Is he going to respond out of his convictions or out of his desires? Well, look how the woman helps make that decision for him. It says that her dress is revealing. 
It says that her heart is guarded. It actually means more literally that it's a heart of crafty intent. She's hiding things just so it'll be tempting. This is where I think it's helpful to see this woman both as who she is as an adulteress, but also what she symbolizes in this sinful folly. She is attractive, and that is the case with sin as well. If it wasn't, it wouldn't be tempting, right? She's attractive. She's inviting. And all the time you're flirting with sin, she knew you were there. And so she calls you into the shadows. She gives you a taste and then promises there's more. It's true of the adulteress and it's true of any temptation of sin. It reminds me of that scene in the Chronicles of Narnia. You may remember when Edmund first stumbles into that enchanted land and he encounters the white witch. Now when she introduces herself, she says that she's the queen of Narnia. (laughs) We know she's the white witch. And Edmund has stumbled into this because he's upset. He's discontent. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He too is caught by surprise, right? He's startled. And do you remember what the the queen of Narnia does? She invites him into his sleigh. She gives him a nice hot cup of tea on that cold winter's day. And then she gives him a taste of what? Turkish delight. Probably the best thing, Edmund says, that he'd ever Put in his mouth. And then she promises him more. She says, if you'll just tell your brothers and sisters where I live and invite them to my house, I'll make you king. And I'll give you all that you desire. If you know the story, you know that it was all a trap. It was a lie. And it's this very same scene that is unfolding in our passage this morning. The young man like Edmund, is flirting with temptation. And he got there because of his discontent. He willingly wanders into a place he should have never been. And in that moment, he is surprised by a thing of beauty, a woman who gives him a taste and then invites him to her house for more. She promises him the indulgence of pleasure under the protection of of secrecy. She gives him a chance to be king in exchange for his betrayal. But really, this woman was only giving this young man what he had already determined he deserved. You see, the decision to compromise took place long before this surprising encounter ever occurred. His sin was conceived in his heart of discontent. The moment he wanted something more than what he already had. You see, sinful folly is only attractive when we become satisfied in our unsatisfied in our relationship with God. When we take a different path because we're looking for something more. But always remember, there's no such thing as sin without regret. The invitation is a trap. And so now look at verse 21. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her. 
as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Now, therefore, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way of Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. If you think about what the Father's saying, you know that those animals who are being led to slaughter have no idea what kind of danger they're in. And in the same way, this young man never took the time to think through the consequences of his sin. He was caught by surprise. And the father is warning his son, don't make the same mistake. This whole scenario was created by this father for his son so that he would not walk into life uninformed, that he would anticipate what was ahead of him, that he would not get caught by surprise. And really what this dad is telling his son is, know these things are coming and pre-decide. Before the circumstance ever presents itself, you make up your mind right now what you're going to do when that day comes. Predecide. And that applies to all of us. There's a lady that some of you are familiar with. Her name's Lisa Turkhurst, great author and uh, speaker. And she wrote something that Terry shared with me this week that fits perfectly with what we're talking about this morning. In fact, she's describing a scene of sitting around the table the dinner table, with her family and friends. And we've talked in the last several weeks about the conversations that I've encouraged you to have around the dinner table, things that I want you to discuss with one another based on what we've walked through together in Proverbs. So I want you to listen very closely to this conversation, and then I want you to go emulate it in your own home. Okay? Listen to what she says. She says, I look around the dinner table and feel desperate ache, not uncommon to women who deeply love. Whether it's my own family or those who just feel like family, I want so much for them. These young people are so full of possibility and dreams and bright futures, they have my heart. Yet, my heart feels fragile in the hands of these young people. They're smart, they're grounded, but they're young. It takes me back to me at that age, and that scares me. I remember feeling so grown up and crazy excited about the, the chance to, uh, to, to be in charge of my own life, ready for independence, ready for love, ready for the next chapter in my life. Chasing what felt good and thrilling, I quickly learned that the wind blows in dangerous directions sometimes. Going with the flow led me to places I didn't intend to go. And I woke up one morning ashamed of my choices, wondering how in the world did I get to this place? How? I cringe thinking about it now, and I cry because I don't want that experience for these people I desperately love. 
So in the midst of the laughter and casual banter, I turn the conversation at the dinner table to a word I want them to know and live. Pre-decide. Decide today who you want to be. In this moment of togetherness, surrounded by family and saturated by love, decide. Decide what your answer will be when the talk turns ugly and the laughter turns mean against that girl or guy who desperately needs you to be their friend. Decide what your answer will be when someone invites you to that cool party where there might be drinking and drugs. Decide what your answer will be when the boy says or the girl says, it's not that big of a deal, just stay the night. Decide what your answer will be when friends laugh at your Christian views and challenge you to lighten up. Pre-decide. Decide today who you're going to turn to if you do get in trouble. Remember the people at the table. Remember who has your best interests at heart. Remember who you are. Pre-decide. Decide today to turn around any mistakes from your past by asking God's forgiveness and walking in His grace. Decide today to ignore the enemy who wants to trick you, to trip you, to take you out. Pre-decide. And then she says we go around the table and tell what we're pre-deciding this year. (laughs) And my heart feels less of that ache although I know that I'm foolish to think that this would act like some bad choice immunization, we're all susceptible, but it is a way to infuse their heart with a memory of a predecision. And with that, the plates are cleared, the cookies are nothing more than crumbs, and as the time goes, so I whisper the last few words, go where wisdom gathers, not where wisdom scatters. Make decisions today that will still be good tomorrow. Most of all, know that I love you. As you listen to that example, I want you to know that when it's all said and done, the message of the gospel is the greatest love story you've ever heard. I want you to know that that conversation that existed at that dinner table is a reflection of the Father's love for you. See, his instruction is not intended to limit your freedom. It's intended to protect your heart. But he's, because he's come that you might have life. And he says that he wants you to have it abundantly. He wants you to have all the goodness that he's built within his design. See, no one in this world has ever pursued you with a greater passion than he has. No one has ever sacrificed as a demonstration of their love as much as he has. No one can provide you the security that he promised like he can. You see, the Father loves you very much. And that love was demonstrated through the sacrifice of his Son on the cross on your behalf. And he wants you to trust him, to follow him, want you to be convinced in your heart as the scripture tells us that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation could ever separate you from the love of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. As this mom said as she turned to her family, God says to you, I love you. And I want what's best for you. Trust me. Maybe this morning is one of those days that you pre-decide that that's what you're going to do. And you are intentional about spending time in His Word so you know what that past looks like. You're purposeful about the friendships that you develop so that you know that those people are going down that same road. So that you encourage each other towards love and good deeds. Knowing that ultimately this road is just passing through a world that is not our home that we are destined to live for eternity in a different place where sin no longer reigns, where there's no more sickness, there's no more disease, where God makes everything right. So trust Him and follow Him to that place because He loves you very much. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word, the power of the message of your great and faithful love. A love so faithful that you continue to pursue us even when we are unfaithful, when we're the adulteress. Father, help us to to see that great love and be humbled before you with repentance, with gratitude, and with worship so that we turn and turn our hearts towards you and faithful love and devotion. And we believe, because of what your Scripture declares, that that as long as we are faithful in our relationship with you, you promise to protect us from falling into the trap of sin. That as long as we are faithful in our relationship with you, then we will be faithful in our relationships with one another, in our marriages, in our families, with our friendships. And that within the context of that path of walking in the light, that there is good things. In fact, every good thing and every perfect gift is from you, Father, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. Your love is greater than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And nothing in all of creation can separate us from that love. So help us to trust you and walk faithfully as we follow you. We pray this in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great day.